0: from john chapter 4 7 329 39 through forty-two. The samaritan woman came to draw water at the well and jesus said to her give me a drink the disciples had gone to the city to buy food the samaritan woman said to him how is it that you a jew ask a drink of me a woman of samaria the jews do not share things in common with samaritans samaritans jesus answered her if you knew the gift of god "'I have no husband,' Jesus said to her. "'You are right in saying, I have no husband, "'for you have had five husbands, "'and the one you have now is not your husband. "'What you have said is true.' "'The woman said to him, "'Sir, I see that you are a prophet. "'Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, "'but you say that the place where people must worship "'is in Jerusalem.' "'Jesus said to her, "'Woman, believe me, "'the hour is coming when you will worship the Father "'neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem.' You worship what you do not know we worship what we know for salvation is from the jews but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the god the father in spirit and truth for the father seeks such as these to worship him god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth the woman said to him i know that messiah is coming who is called christ when he comes." Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God.
1: Thank you, Ed. So some, some weeks, our world's not-quite-rightness seems more glaring than other weeks. On Monday, a friend of mine, Jeff, from seminary, one of the rare Baptists who ever attend Duke, um, <laughs> who, after we graduated, went on to get his PhD in liberation theology, and now is a pretty prominent social activist and blogger right outside of Dallas, Texas. On Monday, he began to write his story on the front lines of activism in racial and the political and the power climate of Dallas this past week and this past year. And he recalled the night of the shooting when he got the call, and on the other end of the line, Someone said, you will not believe this. A female cop shot an innocent brother in his own apartment over there off Lamar. Remember that? You know where Lamar is? We have got to get out there. The voice on the other end of the phone said, and almost without thinking, uh, Jeff got into his car, he said. And he started driving. For the entire drive, both his mind and his heart were consumed with the magnitude of it all how broken and incomplete it felt and tears mixed with sweat as he prayed for the survivors he didn't know anything about them. he just knew he had to pray and the more he prayed the angrier he got. He had he had to even pull over at one point because he was like literally shaking and for months after that Jeff organized rally after rally and march after march. Every night he stood up on the streets of Dallas and demanded justice for Botham Jean as loud as he could. This woman is evil, he shouted. May God send her to prison for the rest of her life. We don't even need a trial, do we? What's her address? He would chant. His words got stronger and stronger. And the trial seemed to arrive slowly. But once it did, the verdict came quickly and the entire process portrayed Amber Geiger to be what he long thought she was, a monster. And when the guilty verdict came down, he said everybody in the courtroom chanted and cheered and there was this rare sense of satisfaction. The goal was completed and then he described the horror of it being immediately replaced with this gut-wrenching not-rightness in his spirit. Jeff had spent months advocating for this family and helping to uncover the worst about Amber, and many of the stories and testimonies that led to her conviction were the product of his own vigilante investigation. But there he was at the moment of completion, and it all felt so incomplete he he tried to talk himself out of it and in that quiet conflictual space he made sure to avoid talking to any reporters because they all had questions for him <coughs> but what should have been vindication just left his spirit feeling so unright it all just felt so incomplete now now switch your mind to a different place for a moment and imagine yourself on the couch at the therapist's office. And imagine you're trying to tell the story of your life in a language that you can live with, like Jeff trying to make a media statement on on Monday evening but not having the words to say. And imagine you're trying to tell the story of your life and you settle on an adjective that comes to mind, a word that seems to hold within it all of your aspirations for life, and that gnawing feeling that's in your stomach, and all that you're longing for, and the word that comes to your mind is the word complete. As you're lounging back on the couch in the therapist's office staring at the ceiling, you say aloud, "I'm, I'm longing for completeness, for wholeness, for resolution, for my life to come full circle and in so doing like jeff you seem to be saying it all just feels so incomplete perhaps a friend or a relative has died suddenly or the job you loved you lost or the job you thought you'd love forever is excruciating now or perhaps complete dysfunction and brokenness and selfishness has taken over a relationship and everyone is just so hurt and you don't even know where healing can begin Perhaps one of these or one of many other heartaches have led you to that couch because you feel in life somewhat trapped by the conversations and the projects unfinished or the hopes unfulfilled, and it all just seems so incomplete. And whatever it was that led you there, you're just immersed now in this sense of loss and this sense of grief that is a restless and fruitless struggle to restore in your life a sense of completeness. The Jewish people had a number that represented this sense of completeness, wholeness, the sense of completeness that they longed for. And it was the number seven. And and you can find it all throughout scripture. God made the world in seven days. The Sabbath was on the seventh. There were seven days for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and there were seven days for the Feast of the Tabernacles, and Joshua marched around Jericho seven times on the seventh day with seven priests and seven trumpets, and the traditional menorah had seven lights. For the Jewish people, the number seven was the number for completion. And if seven was perfect, then six was just that painful little bit short of seven. So like in the story at the wedding at Cana when Jesus turns the water into wine there are only 6 pitchers of water not quite enough not quite complete and Jesus brings completion out of imperfection and then we get to and then we get to the unnamed Samaritan today and this woman has had 5 husbands it says and is currently living with a man who is not her husband this is not a salacious piece of gossip. These details are vital to the understanding of this story. We are talking about five bad marriages and another one on the way. That makes six. It's like the Samaritan woman is laying on the couch longing for the right word. Longing to find that completion but saying to herself it all just feels so incomplete. Samaritans and Jews had hated each other for centuries. Ever since the Assyrians invaded the Northern Kingdom, the Samaritans had had this uneven but bitter contest with the Jews. And Samaria was filled with five kinds of foreign peoples, with five different pagan gods. And now Herod the Great has turned the capital of Samaria into a sixth idol and the Roman ode to the Emperor Augustus. Now this woman's story starts to make even more sense. Five husbands representing five false idols of Samaria and the six she's gotten in bed with, the seat of power in Rome. Oh, the gall of Jesus when in just a few words he tells her everything she's ever done and everything her people have ever done which makes this story even odder because this happenstance meeting at a well isn't so happenstance. The early Christians would have read this as a courtship ritual. In Israelite history, Isaac and Jacob and Moses all met their wives while loitering around a well. In each of these patriarchal stories, a man comes to a well in a foreign country, finds a maiden there, asks for a drink, and each time she runs back to fetch her people, who return with her, approve of this man, and then witness the wedding. This is no happenstance. This is a courtship ritual, and it's, and let's be honest, it seems like Jesus has no game. And, be, and, because, and because they know this story so well, this is a conventional story, early, early readers, reading the story would first think that it's gonna end in marriage. Well, yes. And no, we know Jesus does not abandon his ministry to settle for the suburban sprawl in a three-bedroom townhouse in Samaria. Jesus doesn't fall for the, the woman's weary chat-up line that sounds a lot like I'm available, but I'm experienced. <laughs> um, the, the point of this courtship ritual is simple. Jesus is the Samaritan woman's seventh husband the five Assyrian gods could not save her neither could Rome it's also incomplete but Jesus can and does Jesus is the seventh heaven Jesus is the completeness the resolution the fulfillment of her and her people's restless searching Jesus is the answer to their unquenchable thirst Which brings us to the water in this story. The story starts with a woman who has a bucket and yet no water, and Jesus who has no bucket at all and yet is never thirsty. But the language is super important here. In the Greek, when the woman talks about the well and the water, she refers to it as a cistern containing still and maybe stagnant water But when Jesus talks about the water, he's talking about this gushing, overflowing fountain of life that this like bursting geyser shooting up from the skies kind of water. And all of a sudden you hear echoes from the Old Testament prophets loud and clear. Like Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, what wrong did your ancestors find in me that they went far from me and went after worthless things and became worthless themselves? My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and dug out cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that will hold no water. And it's all just so incomplete for Israel, for this woman, and this woman has two problems. The first is that the water she's drawing is not good, it's not good water. And the second is that however much she keeps drawing, she still remains thirsty. And it's just like with her husbands, her five husbands have not nourished her, and her sixth still leaves her thirsty. It's all so incomplete. And the Samaritan's worship of false gods has been like a stagnant cistern, poisonous and debilitating to their life. And meanwhile, their bondage to Rome is leaving them perpetually thirsty, unable to break out of the cycle of hand-to-mouth dependence and humiliation that, like the woman, has occupied their entire existence. It is also incomplete. But here is Jesus in, in the desert of desire, offering water that never runs out and completeness that quenches all thirst and completeness and wholeness, the kind that just sets you free. Jesus is the seventh husband who delivers Samaria. Jesus is the fountain of living water that exposes idolatry and breaks the dependence on the oppressor. This is a story about just how incomplete our human existence is And the religious and political freedom all the world can find in christ and then the conversation at the well becomes a conversation about worship and we lean in to eavesdrop ourselves to see what we might find that is real for us and we get we gather in a place like this to meet god and to offer our worship before God. But if we're honest, many of us are thinking, are feeling, I'm, I'm not even sure who I've come to worship and what difference it makes. And I keep showing up, but sometimes it just feels so incomplete. The woman sarcastically invites Jesus who is obviously a prophet or something she's thinking to come get a closer look at her life at her community she says sure i may be in my sixth relationship but you jews don't understand us you don't you don't get our way of life our experience you don't get the pain we feel and jesus says to her maybe so maybe so but doesn't that all just feels so incomplete? This is not about you, Jesus says. This is about God, and if you're going to be reconciled with God, you have to be reconciled with the Jews, like it or not. And if you're going to find what your heart is longing for, you've got to start paying attention to that gut-wrenching dissatisfaction inside of you, that sense that things are just not right. Because one day it won't be about Samaria and one day it won't be about Jerusalem and one day it won't be about Amber Geiger. It will be about God and you will be face to face. And starting to get the hang of it now, the woman says, yes, I I know someone is coming who will make all these things happen. One day someone's coming and Jesus looks at her and smiles and says, here, me, now, face to face, and that, that gnawing, wrenching feeling her, in her gut that things are not incomplete is replaced all of a sudden with this, this utter clarity. She has found her heart's desire. She has found what will quench her thirst. She is complete. And look what she does. When she's complete, it says she immediately leaves her water jar, that jar that is the symbol of her daily economic bondage to fetching water for survival, that jar that represents her social humiliation of having to do so in the heat of the noonday because of just how much of an outcast she is, that jar that tells her every moment of every day that her life is worthless and unfulfilled and incomplete, she leaves that jar behind now and she leaves it behind because now she has found living water and she'll never be thirsty again. And upon leaving her jar, she now becomes the greatest evangelist, using Even using the same words that brought the first disciples to faith, come, come and see, come and see. And suddenly Jesus, the loyal Jew, is invited to stay now with Samaritans, to eat with Samaritans, something that was bound up in bitterness and grief before this courtship ritual began. And the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Samaritan comes crumbling down and the disciples notion of who's invited at the table now is transformed and living water enables a woman and her people to break free from centuries of confusion and oppression and that gnawing hunger for completion. This is a story about completeness. Sitting in that courtroom, Driving home, avoiding the media, wrestling and conflicted, Jeff tried to convince himself that Amber Geiger deserved no compassion, that compassion was just cheap grace, and he needed to put that aside. That that gnawing pit in his stomach that said all was not right, that felt so incomplete, he tried to convince himself should be this fortress of vindication, but it didn't subside. all just felt so incomplete. So finally, the morning of the sentencing, Jeff writes again. <clears throat> he's this family consultant, activist, who had been on the front lines of Botham Jean's justice and played a huge role in Amber's verdict. With And he's finally cornered for a quote. He can't avoid it any longer. And a reporter asks him, what's next? in the fight for justice for Botham Jean. And they hold the microphone out to him, and in that moment, like the woman at the well, that gut-wrenching, that gnawing, turned into utter clarity for him. And he said, and will be quoted forever, justice for Botham Jean will never be complete without finding a way to love Amber Geiger. There is no other path forward for us. And this is a story of completion. But it's not like the completion we look for on the therapist couch because it's not about our completion. It is about God's completion in Jesus. Jesus is the seventh husband who delivers the Samaritans. Jesus is the fountain of life who delivers you from humiliation and perpetual thirst and lifts the labor of salvation off of your shoulders to bring you joy now. And Jesus is the true place of encounter that brings us face to face with God. Jesus is the reconciling grace that makes enemies into friends. Jesus is the well-gushing, geyser-spouting grace of God Jesus is our completion. And when we read this story, we discover at the well and in the courtroom and in our own hearts that our unquenchable thirst is over and the gnawing and the hunger is gone. And we realize that in Jesus, we have met God face to face and it's all just so complete. Would you pray with me? God, we are all longing for some sense of wholeness, to feel fully ourselves, to be complete as your people who you've called us to be. We all long and we pray together for the completion of this church, or for the completion of your kingdom on earth, as it is in heaven. Or for the completion of of your love in the world, where sadness is replaced with joy, and 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 division is re- replaced with friendship. And if we're honest we all sit here today and we come to a place like this because we are longing for that sense of completion in our lives Jesus we know that is you and that no no good music and outdoor space no growing church no reconciling vote, nothing will bring completion except for you. No new job, no new friend, no new marriage will bring us the satisfaction we're longing for but you. we lift before you, God, all those people in our lives who, because of grief or job loss or illness or depression, are feeling just so incomplete, and yet they don't know to turn to you, or they've turned to you and they've been hurt by others, and so, and they somehow have wrapped you up in that, as if you are a part of that, part of hurting we return to you as the completion of everything of our lives. And we pray this prayer together that you taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us.